in case you've missed my, uh, my other talks, uh, we've broken up between um, the Triumphal Entry Palm Sunday and uh, Resurrection Sunday. I've been talking about uh, the power of our words. Uh, first, I talked about the, po- uh, the process of positive speech through blessing of our children and blessing, another, blessing each other as a community. But also the negative side of our speech that comes with where we use our words as weapons to hurt and to wound people, which damages relationships. Uh, the second week, we delve deeper into that negative aspect of speech. Uh, where we, spo- we spoke of slander and gossip. Uh, biblical slander is where y- you have knowledge of an individual's sin and then share that sin or struggle with others who didn't need to know that information. Okay? Uh, and then also we focus again on gossip, where we're talking about where you know details about people's lives. It may not be sin, but it's, again, it might not be your place to share that information with others. And then for, therefore, spreading information and hurting trust and hurting reputations, that goes along with that. Um, then we finished with uh, taming of our tongues, as James says. Our goal is not just to check and restrain the tongue, but to harness its power for the service of the kingdom. He says, like, tame the tongue, but it, you, you can tame your, be in perfect control of your tongue and still do damage, purposely, you know, verbally abusing people, right? But we should be using our, t- our power for the service of the kingdom. We need to be in control of our words and, you know, use them to bless others and to build them up. Uh, again, I, I've been very, very pleasantly surprised by the feedback after the service. The Q&As have gone on very well. Um, and really, I have enjoyed just the ongoing conversation and the examples that have, that, have, that have come back to us. And really, it's a good exercise for our community to hear what are the struggles that people are having. Uh, I quickly found out uh, I'm not wise enough to answer a lot of these questions. Um, but so this morning, we're going to let Scripture uh, speak to us and tell us how we're supposed, how we're supposed to speak to one another. Um, so our first passage that we start off with is Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 29, which says, sorry if you, uh, I'll wait for you guys to turn there. You can stay there for a little bit also. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. You can uh, turn to, ta- uh, to chapter 2. That's where I'm going to talk from next, ne- uh, speak from next. The goal of our speech as the passage said, should be for edification. The word edification is connected to the word edifice, which is a building. Um, The verb is translated elsewhere as build, or build up, or upbuild. The Greek word there is oikodomio, which means to construct a building. Paul used it there in a figurative sense, as that is the goal of our speech, to build, build, build each other up. Um, flip to Ephesians 2. We're going to read verses 19 through 22. He says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints, fellow believers, and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Uh, we're going to look at some passages here about Paul, the, um, about us being a building or an edifice. Um, so again, flip over to chapter 4. We're going to re- look at verses 11 through 13. He says, And some gave, us, uh, gave some as apostles 
prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Uh, Continuing this thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 9 and 11, he says, 9 through 11, sorry. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building, according to the grace of God, which was given to me. Like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. And then finally, First uh, Peter Chapter 2, it's a short distance away, verses 4 through 6. Peter says, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. What should we take away from these passages is that the body of the individual follower of Yeshua is seen as its own temple or building. Both Paul and Peter use the building imagery to convey the truth that the Spirit of God lives in Yeshua's followers individually, but also as a community. They also use that imagery to impress upon us that we are all currently in a process that is under construction. The foundations of faith have been laid, and our chief cornerstone is Jesus, as, as Peter says there. The foundations have been uh, laid, uh, but we are not yet complete. So the question is, how do we live this out, and how do we get there? Uh, we need to teach our tongues to be seasoned with grace. The opening scripture passage, uh, James 4.29, said that what comes out of our mouth should be used for building up, that it may give grace to those who hear. Colossians 4 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. The emphasis of that verse is grace. Speech with grace is gracious, right? And on the opposite, gracious, it, uh, well, sorry, gracious speech shows favor, it shows affection, it shows concern. Words spoken with grace are positive, they're constructive, they have substance, and they are seasoned with salt. Even a hard or corrective word can be taken well when it's touched with the right amount of grace. There are five characteristics in Scripture of gracious speech, and those are the kind of be the, the theme that we're, I'm going to build around today, and we'll look at some of the examples of the five types. They, the five types that I'm going to talk about is expressing praise and affection for people, Correcting with meekness, communicating faith and joy, making peace, and then showing courtesy. Expressing praise and affection, we've talked about this. It, it, we have a hard time doing this um, in our society, in our Western culture, showing affection towards others that are negative humor, or um, oftentimes we just, people are uncomfortable giving words of affection towards people. Um, 
Sometimes we find it hard to commend others for their virtue, for their abilities, but expression of affection and praise is a key element of gracious speech. We don't often notice this when reading Paul's letters because our our focus is often on the theology of what he's saying and what we're trying to, to, to teach for ourselves of what he's saying, but he consistently shows grace and favor and affection to both individuals and communities. Um, you don't have to flip here. So uh, to the church in Rome, he says, he's showing affection. He says, I thank my God through Yeshua, the Messiah, for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. To the church in Thessalonica, he says, I hope in the Lord, Yeshua, to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. So here, he's given affection to Timothy, right? Uh, That they should uh, show him honor and respect when he comes. And finally, to the church in Philippians, he said, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker. Hold men like him in high regard. Paul praises people directly and before others. This strengthens them and imparts to them confidence and courage and increases the esteem others have for them. Uh, Solomon compares affectionate speech with honey. In Proverbs 16-24, through 24, you don't have to flip, he says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. However, it is possible to give praise or show affection in ways that are wrong or unhelpful. Commending others can fall into empty, empty flattery or a desire to please people. Uh, Solomon, this time, uh, gives caution in the form of moderation, and he says in Proverbs twenty-five twenty-seven, it is not good to eat too much honey, nor is, it, nor is it glory to seek out one's own glory. So we can spoil the effect of praise um, by overstatement, being too frequent with our praise towards people. So we must learn the wisdom of couching gracious words, using them in proper measure. We need to be. We tend to avoid that in our congregation, right? Um, uh, verbally expressing praise for an individual because we don't want it to go to their head either, right? And then uh, we've seen this. Our kids follow our example. We we see sometimes very good examples of people give, of kids giving praise and testimony for what God has done. And done sometimes it's show and tell for them too, right? So. Um, we need to be careful. We, we, it is okay to give praise and affection towards people that you want to give praise and affection to in this congregation. We just need to be careful that we don't do it too often, right? Or uh, because it can, can convey the wrong message and then people start doing stuff to get that praise and, and, and testimony, right? So we just need to be cautious with it. I'm not saying not to do it. Um, the next part is correcting with meekness. Uh, Trevor and I talked last week briefly, um, or last time I spoke, in regards to having to correct a brother or sister who is caught in a non-repentant sin. There's a time and a place for correction and for severity, and yet even our condition should be do- our correction should be done graciously. Paul teaches us about uh, correcting in both Galatians six one and Second Timothy two twenty five, and I'll read them. He says, "Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass." You who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. And, with gentleness, this is the Second Timothy passage, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. The word gentleness or meekness here could be translated as courtesy. Paul is concerned that correction not be administered heavy-handed, but with humility and self-control. 
I'm going to ask you to uh, turn to 1 Corinthians again. Sorry, a little more of a sword drill today. I apologize for that. We'll look at some examples here. Um, we get look at Paul's gracious correction. Uh, for some context, this community was tolerating divisions about which apostle they preferred. Uh, there was jealousy. There was some sexual immorality going on. Uh, they were taking legal issues before pagan judges. Uh, participating in idolatrous feasts and disorder in the common assembly. Um, in 1 Corinthians 4, even though he's going to lay into them at some parts here, he still greets them um, even though he's not happy with their behavior. So chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into the fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's, he's, he's greeting them, though he's not happy with their behavior. And then we're going to look at the admonishment here in chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved brethren. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. Okay? So he's he's not not shaming them, right? But he does want them to follow his behavior and how uh, he lives. To the Galatians, he takes on a more severe tone because... Unlike the Galatians, um, sorry, unlike the Corinthians, the Galatians were allowing moral issues to go unchecked, and the Galatians were distorting the gospel message. And to, it seems to Paul that maybe this was a, a greater issue for him. He says in Galatians three verse one, "You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified?" It's either he calls them fools. The Bible has nothing good to say about fools, right? Through Proverbs, fools are people who despise wisdom. They lack sense. They, their lips bring strife. They mock sin. Fools say that there is no God. We don't have time to read the entire book of Galatians, but he continually admonishes with a concern to see um, people he discipled walk in truth and righteousness. So we can build up one another with correction administered at proper time and proper manager at and the proper manner sorry it's hard for all of us whether a grown up child of god or still a child to appreciate correction when done appropriately i love when um, pastor trevor is asking children to say thank you when they're corrected we don't we don't do this still right um, sometimes we do if it's done graciously but uh, for our kids to say thank you when you're correcting them from running in the sanctuary or being loud or being inappropriate or just being having poor behavior to get them to say thank you and appreciative is very hard, right? I appreciate you uh, continuing to, to teach that. Uh, but our hope is that eventually correction administered with meekness will be recognized for what it is. The third thing is uh, scripture teaches to communicate faith and joy. Communicating faith and joy to others reflects how we are approaching our lives. If our speech is negative, and filled with anxiety, discouragement, or complaint, we pull others down with us. 
I'm not saying that it's, uh, we're not going through difficult times and sometimes we need to let things out, right? But if our speech is positive and filled with faith in God and, and joy, then others will experience this and be strengthened in the same qualities. There's a powerful, um, uh, flip over to Numbers uh, 13. There's a powerful example of how negative speech influences others in the book of Numbers chapter 13. Um, This is where Moses wants to send a member of each of the 12 tribes to spy out the land of Canaan and bring back a report to the rest of the people. You guys there? Numbers... 13, we'll pick up verse at verse 26 to 33. We'll do 25 through the end of the chapter there. He says, um, When they returned from spying out the land at the end of the 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told them and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up and said to him, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone is in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, or the people of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. How often do we act like the ten, who are cowardly and faithless? Instead, we should take Joshua and Caleb as our models, who respond to adversity with courage and faith. Our own speech should reflect confidence in God's protection and His saving power, and should impart to others that same confidence. 1 Peter 1.6.9, Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, we read this, no, we didn't read it, we read it last week, if necessary, You have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls." Part of this is that we need to be willing to recognize our own problems and be, and be willing to talk and share with them. Right? Be careful who you share with. Um, people we trust. Talk about our negative thoughts and struggles that you're going through, uh, things that are discouraging you. But part, people that are part of this congregation, if you are hearing these words of struggle and concern, your part is to be what? To be ready for words of correction if needed, if they're talking about a sin issue that they're not correcting. But be words of encouragement and take an opportunity to pray for that person. Maybe not in front of them, if that's you're not comfortable doing that, but do in fact tell them you'll pray for them, and then pray for them. So, be ready to speak words of encouragement. With this type of speech, we should be showing our faith in God to one another, and be a brother or sister in Christ that brings joy to others.
Uh, the fourth part of uh, being seasoned with grace is making peace. Another part of gracious speech has to do with situations of conflict. Uh, to be ungracious is to be contentious, argumentative, impatient, defensive, or critical. The gracious person person is patient, they're slow to anger, they're non-defensive. And Paul says in Romans 12, verse 18, So far as it t- depends on you, be at peace with all men. Many passages in Scripture urge us to be gracious and meek rather than willful and contentious. Quite often we return harsh words for harsh words, blow for blow, but we all know that usually this causes an escalation in the conflict. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You're in disagreement with your kid? And you really know what they need is a calming voice, but instead you lay into them a little bit, or you just speak a little more sternly than you mean to, and how do they react? They get defensive, they get angry, they roll their eyes, right? They say, whatever, man, right, and move on. So, um, but a gentle answer can turn away their wrath, um, Paul gives particularly good, good advice to both Timothy and Titus. Uh, we're going to flip back to the New Testament, jump to 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Oops. I forgot where it was. Hold on. No, I know, it's just, it's small too, right? Second Timothy chapter 2. This is where I should save my sections, right, Trevor? <laughs> All right, Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God, not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of hearers. And then in 20, he says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some honor and some dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the name of the Lord uh, from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, and be patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. The Greek words translated in those passages as disputing, quarreling, or contentious all derive from the same word, a word used in military terms for a fight or a battle. So Paul urges against using our speech to contend with each other in a way that is a fight, like a, a, a verbal sparring match. Instead, we are to be kindly showing courtesy to all. There is a time and place for a firm statement of one's own convictions or to make an argument. We have biblical examples of this when Paul contended with Peter in Antioch when the Jewish believers began separating themselves from the Gentile believers. This is also found in Galatians. And again, uh, he fought zealously at the Council of Jerusalem where there was pressure about Gentile believers becoming circumcised. 
we're told that he also argued with other Jews in the synagogues about the identity of the Messiah. So it's not about not getting in any arguments. It's about standing up and speaking when it's the right argument. We know that Jesus spent a fair bit of time disputing with various religious leaders of the day and denounced them forcefully on occasion. However, this is not supposed to be the main way that we relate to others, especially with our spouses, children, parents, uh, co-workers. A Yeshua-following person should be ready and able to stand up for righteousness and truth at the proper time, even when such action could be costly. Finally, the fifth action is to show courtesy. Uh, it's spoken about over and over again here. Um, this section, I think, is mostly for, uh, for you older kids sitting here. Uh, I'm going to give you some advice that I hope that you're going to take away. Uh, we're not talking about the kind of courtesy with, uh, with formalities and bowing and ceremonies past seen in different aristocracies, but that which is showing respect and consideration of others. Proverbs 18, verse 13 says, He who gives an answer before he hears... It is folly and shame to him. I've done this. Or I think I know the question that's coming from my kids, and I, I answer them incorrectly, right? And to my folly and to my shame. Philippians 2 says, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Here's the first advice. Listen attentively. Listen attentively when others are speaking. To let your eyes or thoughts wander aimlessly or to fall asleep while someone is speaking is discourteous. This happened to me this past week. I was in a, uh, a video lecture watching someone um, do some modeling on their computer. I'd just eaten lunch. I wasn't even hot, but I wasn't doing anything. I was just sitting there, and man, did I start to nod off really, really badly. I, I don't know if they could see me, but I had to get up. Right? I had to get up and, and, and move myself around. Now, you can't necessarily do that in a classroom structure, um, but sometimes just changing what you're doing and what you're thinking about helps with that. Advice number two. Uh, don't interrupt while another person is talking. Vice number three, take interest in the lives of others rather than simply talking about ourselves. Be eager to learn more about someone else's life and show genuine interest and concern in what interests and concerns them. Be quick to, how was your day? What do you like to do? Rather than always be quick to talk about yourself and what your likes and interests are. Um... To kind of wrap this up, um, Scripture calls us to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, and mind, and our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. With that comes loving God and our neighbor with our tongues. It's not just a mischievous nuisance that gets us into trouble, but it's a gift from God with power and responsibility. We're able to speak words of salvation and build people up in God's love. So we've already talked about how we can do damage to with these instruments of destruction. So let's take this gift, this gift to speak positively, encouragingly, um, with respect it deserves, and devote it fully to the service of the Heavenly King. Will you bow your heads with me? Gracious Father and King, we thank you again 